I'm Terry Gant, and my favorite thing is the Legion of Superheroes comic book franchise. Welcome to the Finding Favorites podcast, where we explore your favorite things without using an algorithm. Here's your host, Leah Jones. Hello, and welcome to Finding Favorites. I'm your host, Leah Jones. I'm recording this intro on June 6th. Um, I re- this is for an interview with Terry Gant that I recorded on May 25th. So what I want to address is that Terry and I recorded this episode the same day that George Floyd died. So Terry is a black man from the South Side of Chicago. I am a white woman from Indiana. I've lived in Chicago for 20 years. We're going to have a rocking conversation about comic books. And we talk about COVID and the pandemic. But since you're listening to this in the future, you're going to think it's really weird that we didn't talk about George Floyd or the protests or the massive change that's coming to our country right now. I I can imagine if we, we recorded the podcast anew, it would be a completely different conversation. So I just want to acknowledge that this is from a point in time before the world changed. Man, I hope the world is changing right now. I really believe we could have it in us this time. Terry is someone I met in the early days of Twitter in Chicago when all you needed was a Twitter account as an excuse to meet up in a bar. He became a dear friend. He and his wife, as you'll hear us talk about, kept my mom company at the hospital one that during the only surgery I've ever had. I had a nine-hour surgery, and they they were in the hospital the whole day with my mom. So he really is like a brother to me. I also mess up the count of siblings I have. I have a twin sister, older brother, and an older sister. So Terry is then my second older brother. Apologies to my siblings for the brain fart on how many how many siblings I have. But this is an exciting episode. Terry takes us on a journey of how he found uh, his favorite comic book when he was 11 years old and how that path took him to owning Third Coast Comics, which is a wonderful comic book sh- shop on the north side of Chicago. And uh, he's reopening soon. Uh, as soon as we're in phase three of the COVID rules. And so we get to go shopping and support our local comic book shops. So thank you for this. Uh, but stay safe. Stay strong. Take care of yourself. Here's Terry Gant. Hello and welcome to Finding Favorites. Um, I am your host, Leah Jones, recording this on Memorial Day 2020. We are nine or 10 weeks into the shelter-in-place order, and uh, uh, that is, it turns out, long enough to come up with a podcast idea and get your friends on board with uh, setting aside some time for interviews. Um, today, I am joined with my good, by my good friend, Terry Gant. Hi, Terry. Hello, Leah. How are you today? Doing great. Um, so Terry is the owner of Third Coast Comics. It's a comic shop on the north side of Chicago. And we know each other, we know each other through the internet, but we are real life friends. Right. And I think that, I think that's an accurate statement. Absolutely. We're almost related. We're almost related. (laughs) I think you are 
You're definitely like my mom's fifth. No, there's three of us. Fourth. Fourth child. Fourth child. <laughs> um, you've spent some long quality hours with my mom at the hospital, keeping her company when I was in a surgery. For that, we are grateful. You've sent her Jimmy John's. You've bribed Jimmy John's drivers in, in Indiana to actually take her treats. Um, and a good friend to the Jones family. Absolutely. Mom's pretty great. She's pretty great. We like her. So, um, what's been keeping you guys busy? So, for me, with the, with the shelter-in-place happening, uh, Third Coast Comics is not officially open, but I've been doing mail order for customers who email me and just tell me what they want, right? So, I'll go in once or twice a week uh, when I know anything that I've ordered to ship to them is arriving. So I look at every morning, I look for UPS tracking numbers to know what days I have to go into the store. And then while I'm there, I just do all this like packing and shipping and I'll do curbside if anybody has placed an order and they want to come by and pick it up. What it's kind of made me do is it's made me have to like, while I'm not in the store as much as I was before, I've had to get a lot more organized about how I sell a thing or like kind of deal with transactions because everything's a little different now, right? Like I don't even really need people coming into the store to like even swipe a credit card for things that they order. I just do a bunch of invoicing, send the invoices out. It, it includes either shipping uh, uh, shipping totals, taxes and all that, or none of that if they're just going to pick it up. And if they pick it up, it's literally me putting things in a bag, walking outside and tossing a thing into the passenger seat of a car. Yeah. You know. I heard through another podcast I listened to that one of the big comic book distributors was shut down for a while at the beginning, did that impact you? That was the best possible thing that could have happened to me specifically because the worst thing about the pandemic as far as like, you know, from a business standpoint was accruing bills for comics that I've ordered for customers while having no customers who can come and buy them, right? So Diamond Comic Book Distributors deciding they weren't sending any comics was because they also weren't accepting any comics from publishers. And them doing it that way means that for up until last week, basically, last week they started they resume shipping. All that time, I was able to ship out product and, and have very little in the way of bills for those comics, right? Oh, what a relief. Yeah, so that was fantastic for me. It, it, like, if the, the, the trouble was all supply side. So, like, if it was you ordering five graphic novels and I had three of them in stock but didn't have two of them, I'd have to place an order for the two of them and then hope that there was a warehouse somewhere in the chain that can get me the two books in a timely manner so you can get your order in, say, like, a week at the most. But if I had that stuff already in stock, it'd be no problem whatsoever. You get in, like, two days, right? Okay. But in some people's cases, it was, like, it would take two weeks to get something because the warehouse where normally I'd be receiving things that I'd reordered was completely shut down. The one I was getting things from or that I'm currently getting things from is only open three days a week. It's partially staffed. So it's a complete toss-up if I have to make an order for someone. But I don't want to tell a person, hey, I can't get you that thing because it's not in stock. I'd rather say, yeah, don't worry about it. I got that thing for you. And then if I can provide updates as to like when you're going to get that thing. But that's even hard to do because I don't really, I know when you should be able to get it. I don't really know when you are going to get it. Right, yeah. right. And are you finding people are expanding their comic, like their graphic novel and comic book orders with you like are are people staying at home consuming more consuming different i think that most of the orders i filled were um 
regular customers who just wanted what they already had, and a few of them added a few extra things. I don't know that going forward they would keep doing that. They just wanted to really support the shop. And a lot of people were ordering things because they knew they were going to have minimum a month at home, right? So ordering three or four graphic novels because you've got a month at home just means that's three or four graphic novels you ordered. You probably won't be doing that every month, you know? Right. Um, once we once we're open again, so I guess the my portion of the business being closed order ends on the 29th. So when we are open, we'll have you know we won't have full hours because it just the walk up traffic just won't be there. And my store is on Loyola University's campus, and they're shut down completely. So without the the same customer base we used to have, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'll still be doing mail order. I will. What it probably means is I will know immediately if any of my customers have dropped off. Right. But I also will have regular communication with the customers that I do have, you know, even if it's like it's not a fifty dollar order, even if it's like an eight dollar order, it still means that's an order done and that's bills covered. And that's fine for me. Good. Will people be allowed to come in the store? Yeah, I think in my case, my store is already small. Right. It's like two hundred fifty square feet. So it's a tiny comic shop where I can have I'm going to have to say like a maximum of two people at a time in the store. But that's because. I also in the neighborhood get a lot of like parents with kids. So I don't want to, if I say one person at a time in the store, then it's going to be tweaked anyway when a dad comes in with his daughter, right? Or, you know, or a mom comes in with her son. One family. Yeah. Two here's or one family. Yeah. 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 So like that can be done. And then basically anybody, if other people want to come in, like they can hang out. There's like a, a, a vestibule area where they can hang or they can just wait outside. Like everybody's going to adjust to this. I've seen, uh, like I live in Evanston and up here I was walking by Benison's bakery just the other day. And there was a line practically out to the street of people, not quite socially distant, but they're distant. And the, the store has distancing because the bakery's small. Right. So there, I was in there a couple of weeks ago and they had markings for six feet. And at the second set of six feet, you're at the window. Right. So like, you can't really, <laughs> you can't get three groups. You can't get three people staying six feet apart in there. So everyone else is outside, right? And it, that's just how it's going to have to be. And I think folks will adjust. Yeah, I went to uh, I, I went by on the route bicycle shop yesterday, um, just to see what their if they had any what what the bike situation was because I've got a bike and I was just like, oh, it might be nice to have something more upright. And their line is uh, people just sit are like on one block of sidewalk then the next you know and you have to mask up to go in and but they were working the line yeah and if they didn't have what why you were there they were just like go home right don't right. bother coming in there's, there's no, no window shopping right and budaki's which is a, a good hot dog gyro joint korean uh korean chicken joint down the road they've put up plexiglass marked out the six feet on the floor inside. Yep. So, yeah. And even in my store, I had this area where if there were new comics, uh, new series starting up that I thought customers who were coming in buying their regular things might want to be turned into some new comic series. I had an area where I would lay those all out kind of flat. Right. And I had enough space for maybe like 25, 30 of those individual, like new tried out titles. I've completely gotten rid of that because now, there really won't be a lot of time for you to, like, browse for a new series to get into, but instead, I put special, like, kind of call-out graphic novels in that area, so it's a whole book that's already done, 
the story that's completely finished. And if you're buying your comics or whatever, and you look over at this area, you can go, oh, I've always wanted to read that book. You just grab that, right? I'd, I'd rather have it that way than have that, like, that impulse that people are used to having, which is I can... Now, normally in retail, we want you to take a five-minute visit and turn that into a 15-minute visit, right? Mm -hmm. Here, for public health reasons, we need you to take a five-minute visit and keep it a five-minute visit. Right. You know? And don't touch everything. Right. And I would rather, if that's the case, they, right, and, and I have a product that I can't wipe down after right? you're gone, right? Like, I can't really do that. So I have... Okay. I have when there's a comic book. Yeah, I've made some adjustments in a lot of areas um, as much as I could, right? But uh, some of it's also going to be, all right, the first time customers come in, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to assess that situation. How did that go? You know, wow. tweak it, you know, as much as I can. Well, I am glad that you are going to be allowed to reopen yeah. and get back to the store. Um, I happen to know you're an extrovert, so I bet you are excited to see more people in person. So, okay. I am, I am an introvert with extrovert tendencies and, and, and my, my issue was going to be like having to kind of, and my wife and I talked about this, having to fight like that, that thing where part of my brain absolutely does miss all the human contact, but part of my brain has also really enjoyed the peace of being able to pack and ship in the quiet, right? And like, and develop a process with no outside noise, yeah. right? Like, I also know that I, I, I want to, like, I, I can't do events now, right? Like, I'm on Loyola University's campus. There are no events. I can't do my meetups. I can't do, like, I've done some wild things in order to get people into the store. Yeah. I can't do any of that. And I'm okay with all that because some of that requires a lot of energy to do, right? right. And my, my downtime is now lessened. So I have to, like, really, like, like, throw myself into my downtime so that I can keep my brain absolutely sharp for when I have to, you know, step up in order to make a sale now during COVID, you know what I mean? And all of it, I just like today, I, I started puzzling through, my real goal here is can't be like, keep my business afloat per se, now that we're reopening or get back to the way it was. My real goal has to be like, be on top of it enough now that we can reopen because in the fall, if there's a relapse, like when that, when, when, if we collapse again in the fall, not only will it be bad because now we're going to have another shutdown, but it's also now not headed towards better weather. It's headed towards worse weather, mm -hmm. right? So I have to run a retail establishment where in an environment in which I won't have customers and there will be no outdoor incentive for you to get out and even try to support your local businesses any way that you could. You know what I mean? Oh boy. So really my aim is when we open officially on Friday, my aim is going to be run the business so we can survive October, November, December, January, February. Like that's the idea, you know. It's a good plan. Or plan. at least a good idea. Let's see if I come up with a good plan for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. And that's how everybody ought to be thinking about it, right? Like if you're a restaurant, don't think about we need the business open because we got to get our patios back and we got to, you know, get our brunches back and we got to like open this Bloody Mary bar. If you're a restaurant, you probably got to be thinking about what do we do when it's not summer and right. COVID's worse, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you're opening not because you need to make that money now. You're opening because you're going to need that money, you know, and come the fall. Yeah, yeah, fall and winter.
we jump into your favorite thing? All right. So my favorite thing, um, I have many favorite things, but the favorite thing that's most relevant for this discussion is comic books, right? I am a comic book collector. I've been a, a comic book collector since the mid-70s. My favorite comic book property of all time is called the Legion of Superheroes. It's a, it's a comic book, it's a superhero team of teenage superheroes from the future. So they're 31st century uh, superhero team. And they were basically created to be like buddies to Superman when he was a teenager and he was Superboy. So it's like, you know, Super, Superboy needed a, a club of other superheroes to hang out with. So the Legion of Superheroes gets created and that's who he hangs out with because he doesn't have any other superhero peers who were kids, right? So it's kind so of the idea. Because I'm, uh, this is, is this a DC or Marvel? DC thing. DC. DC thing, yeah. DC Comics, their first appearance is in a comic book called Adventure Comics number 247. And it was 1958 when that debuted. So their first appearance is in 19, 1958. So how did you land on them as your favorite what were you reading before were you like reading a bunch of superman and then you found them and you're like they are the best and then i had kind of a i had a two-part kind of a problem which was i definitely liked comic books already but i didn't have a lot of money as a kid so uh the way it would work is if i had to ask my mom for money to go buy comics she would give me money for comics but if i went out and bought a spider-man or a superman i got like one superhero and as what i what i learned was that I was more interested in finding out, learning about every superhero possible, right? Yeah. So like just the adventures of Batman just wouldn't do it for me, but the Fantastic Four would have four characters I can learn about. And the Justice League, let's say, would have seven. The Avengers might have 13, right? So like the more characters you put into a book, a comic for me as a kid, the more I was into it. And it, the Holy Grail became the Legion of Superheroes, which I discovered had 23 characters, 23 members. So now I, I don't know of anything I had not found by the mid seventies, a superhero property that had more characters on a regular basis than the Legion of Superheroes could possibly have. All 23 wouldn't be in every issue. There might only be four or five or six in each issue, but there was a possibility of mixing and matching any of those 23. And I was, wow. and they were also all teenagers. They were all kids. So like that was part of the, the draw for me. And I guess in my in my collecting, it was like, you know, I only I would only get so much money to buy comics anyway. So I wanted more bang for my buck, right? If I've got if I've only got two bucks to go buy comics, there's no point in me throwing all two bucks at singular superheroes when I could throw them at teams of superheroes to get more characters in my face. Right. So you get more characters in your face. It gives you more to imagine in between going to the store to get more books, right? Yep. And I found that writers, the writers who wrote team comics back then were, they were doing to me a more difficult job, right? They had to also, they didn't just write a hero versus villain story. They also had to write interactions between those characters. So like comics having a certain drama to them, if you're going to bring the drama, you're not just going to bring it between like a, 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 a good versus evil. You're bringing it between whatever the issues are all these characters have with each other and the worlds around them and how they, how they developed over time, where they came from, like all of this mattered, right? In any of the team comics. So I, that's what I always gravitated towards. So who are some of the other, who are some of the other heroes in the league? So in the Legion of Superheroes, it started out with um, Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and Cosmic Boy. All their names are going to have 
some um, some indication that they were a young male or female character, right? Um, so each the other thing the other thing that drew me in was each member of the Legion of Superheroes had generally one power, right? So every time they would introduce a new character, it's like, what's this guy's power going to be? Like, how 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 interesting would that be if every you know every, twice three times a year they would have like these membership drives and characters would show up to the Legion to like try out for the team and some would make it and some would. It was literally like, like trying out for a team and then them voting on whether or not you could join, right? So- There are issues in, in the Legion that are auditioned. Yes, absolutely. And they're like, for Legion fans, these are their favorite. This is always awesome because sometimes you got in and sometimes you didn't. And the writers, knowing that they were writing for kids, they weren't always writing very serious auditions in the, in the, in the 50s and 60s. Some of these characters were ridiculous. Some of them were great. So, like, Starboy had the power to, like, make things heavier. He would add density to, pe- to, to objects or people. Okay. But, like, arm fall off, lad, literally had an arm that would fall off. So he didn't make... He couldn't make your arm fall off, just his... Just one of his arms would fall off, right? And he, he's at an audition, and they're like, what's your special talent? He's like, my arm can fall off. And they're like, reject, right? <laughs> 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 there's other characters like um there's a character named chlorophyll kid who's one of my favorite characters chlorophyll kid tries to join the legion but he doesn't make it because his power is to make trees grow but they were like well what if we go to a desert planet right like what if we go to a water planet then you're kind of like you're not really useful to us we can't let you, you you can't join right his his workaround was he brought seeds with him everywhere he went but like if you don't have your seeds then that doesn't work Right? right, so there would be some characters with reasonable powers that in other comics absolutely would work. Right, but in the Legion of Superheroes, it was like eh, we just can't see it. Right, so you can't. Sorry, bro, you can't. We can't let you in. You know. So when Chlorophyll Boy auditions, is that like a three-page audition? Uh, in the audition issues, some of it would be the entire issue in which characters were legit stressed about whether or not they would make it. And in some cases, it was like, oh, no, that's a really dumb power. And it's two panels and you're out, right? But then in a lot of these issues of the audition issues, someone would always join. That's how we got up to 23 members, right? Okay. It started out with just three. Then it was like eight. Then it was like 12. Then it was 15. And it, at the, the peak kind of like mid-70s, early 80s zone, we kind of maxed out at 23. And then members would leave and members would, would join again. There were rules like, if you if legionnaires if legionnaires got married they had to leave like this is a thing like you you couldn't so saturn girl and lightning lad got married to each other they married each other they married each other so that was that two of them the two of them had to leave and then they did a membership drive so other people come and join like this kind of stuff would happen or like there'd be politics right so like on someone's home planet there'd be some political strife and a member would have to leave to go home and just make sure their family was okay so then they would do a membership drive and you know, they would also do this thing. The membership drives were hilarious because some, sometimes ridiculous characters would show up, but sometimes great characters would show up. But also, every year or so, the Legion of Superheroes would have leadership elections, right? Where they would vote on who got to be the leader. And what, what DC Comics would do is they would start a writing campaign amongst the fans for who gets to be the next Legion leader. So the, so the kids reading the book gets to write letters to decide the cast votes, right? on who they want the leader to be, which would make the writers have to then write to that, right? So, like, it's it's one thing if, like, characters who seem like natural leaders, like, there's a character named Mon-El who's kind of like a, 
uh, version of Superboy himself, right? So, like, if you voted him the leader, he was a fan favorite character, and a lot of fans, a lot of readers could easily see that guy being a leader. But then one year, there's a character named Wildfire, who is sort of like, um, he's, a, he's, he's a bunch of floating energy inside of a spacesuit. Like, he doesn't have a body anymore. And he's, his personality is very um, grating and, and abrasive and aggressive. This dude should never be the leader of anything. But he got voted the leader, I think, more than once. If you don't have a body anymore and it's just your essence. In a space suit. Yeah. You can be a little gritty. Yeah. And he was completely bitter about it because he, like, while he had all these amazing energy powers, he was totally a tragic hero. Like, he could have easily been a Marvel Comics tragedy character because Marvel is the comic book company of tragedy. But... He he was he was a DC character, but not a Marvel character. And his tragic thing was he had no body, it couldn't experience touch and sensations and 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 senses. And he was there was an amazing love story between him and this character named Dawnstar, who basically her power she had wings, she could fly through space with wings, and she could track anything anywhere, right? And they were in love with each other, and they did this amazing level of drama between them where they could not physically like come into contact with each other because he's a spacesuit. Right. But they they had all the emotion required for a soap opera drama between Dawnstar and, and Wildfire. If there are two characters to bring back in the in this pandemic, it sounds like they're good. Bring them back. Absolutely. A love story of two people who can't touch. Yes. And- yes. Yeah. This, is, this has been done in comics multiple times with characters who cannot touch, who are who are intense, intense dramas with characters without the sense of touch. Yeah. Wow. Or the ability to rogue of the X-Men for the longest time. Her thing is she couldn't, she can't touch people because she'll absorb their memories or absorb their powers. And if she touches them for too long, she'll absorb them permanently, right? Which is a problem for her, you know? So that that's one thing that character totally, all the drama surrounding her inability to have physical contact with people, right, is what totally made her a fan favorite character for so many years for so many people getting into the X-Men. I thought she I think I only know her from a video game. Is that possible? It could be possible, yeah. And she threw tornadoes at people? Uh, Storm throws tornadoes at people. Rogue throws people at people. (laughs) (laughs) So when you found the Legion, you, you were just like, this is an economical way for me to get more characters for my buck. Yep. When you found them, how old were you when you found this this crew? Next to me, I have the first Legion of Superheroes comic that I ever bought, um, which I bought in 1978. So I would have been 11 years old. And is this this first issue you bought in 1978? Yep, I'm holding it up for the camera. So oh, it's that. going to be an audio podcast. So <laughs> that won't work. But if you, if one were to look up Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 242, they would see the cover that I just held up. Earlier. Awesome. Yeah. So was that issue a current week issue when you bought it? And then you were like, I love them. I'm going back in time and buying more. Or was it already not current? Tell okay. me about that. This is, that is a very good question. So it was a collect. collect, correct. So yeah. uh, it was a current issue on the newsstands when I bought it. And when I bought it, I didn't know comic shops were a thing that existed, right? I bought comic books at newsstands around my neighborhood. 
uh, anywhere between um, two blocks and like two miles from my house that I would walk to, right? Okay. And every newsstand wouldn't stock the same product. So like if I wanted Legion of Superheroes comics, what I had to do was find out which newsstand was most likely to have ordered it and then make sure I got there once a month to that particular newsstand to buy that comic. I lived at the time um, at 77th and Yates, which is like South Shore area, not far from the South Shore um, Community Center. Um, we used to call it, when I was a kid, it was called the South Shore Country Club, like the end of Lakeshore Drive going south, like about yeah. a couple of miles past the Museum of Science Industries where I grew up. And it was a piece of cake when I would walk from 77th and Yates to like 79th and Yates to a newsstand there to buy yeah. comics, only two blocks. But when that newsstand shifted what it would buy from ordering less DC comics and more Marvel comics, I had to find another place that was probably carrying it. And that was at 75th and Stony Island, All right. which was um, about two miles, maybe three miles from my new apartment, which was on uh, 74th and South Shore Drive. So like 3100 East, right? Yeah. And 7400 South. But the benefit of it was it was two blocks from my grandmother's house, right? At okay. 76 and Cornell. So if I visited my grandmother, I could wrap in a grandmother visit with a trip to the newsstand around the corner and buy comments because... I was a kid where on some level, yes, visiting the grandparents is awesome, but at some point you're just visiting the grandparents and I'm going to hop on my bike and ride a couple blocks and go to this newsstand to buy comics to me because, yeah. you know, I had a bunch of older uncles who were cool as older, like dude figures, I guess, in my life, but they weren't, they would tell me all about the, like reading comics when Marvel comics first started in the sixties, but they didn't still have any of them. So they weren't useful in that collecting regard. <laughs> I don't really want to hear about how, how amazing it used to be and how you gave it up when you discovered girls. I want to see the damn comics now, mister. Right. <laughs> Since they didn't have them. Like, I don't want to hear the war stories, bro. Like where are the comic books? So I would go to the newsstand and, and I didn't know what the schedule was for comic book releases. I wasn't even sure at 19, when I was 11, I wasn't even clear. Maybe I was clear that they were monthly, but I didn't keep track of which week of the month they would happen. So I had to, you know, Whenever we had to visit my grandmother, I would be like, I'll be right back. Hit right. this newsstand to see if they had it. And then once I kind of got it down that, aha, it is a monthly thing. And here's about when it would happen. I would sometimes bypass the visit to my grandmother's and just go straight to the newsstand from home and take the two or three right. mile trip back. Right? Yeah. Now, it was a lot of walking involved because, like, there was no bus tracking back then. And while there was a 75th Street bus, who knows when it would ever show up. I would just start right. walking. I walked everywhere back. So at what point do you realize there's a, a thing called a comic book shop and you can start getting back editions? Or possibly, possibly like, so yeah. And, and that became another challenge for me as a kid with not a lot of money. I discovered comic shops were a thing around this time. I heard about this, right? And a friend of mine, uh, he his dad was still buying comics and his dad was there at the beginning of uh, Marvel Comics in the 60s and his dad kept all their comics. So I would, oh. when I was like around this time, I would go to my friend's house and read these old comics. But the it's where I learned that the older comics were valuable and therefore they cost more. So if I were going to go back looking for the older issues that I was too young for, it was going to cost me more money than I had for buying new comics. So I didn't really start buying back issues and even really hunting them down until I was a lot older, where it didn't matter that like a new comic was a buck twenty-five. If I had a couple extra bucks, I could spend it on 
something that might have cost 10 bucks because now I had that cash. There is a, a story I told my friends once when I was in, when I was a sophomore in high school. I thought there was really only like one comic shop in Evergreen Park that I would go to with some friends. But a friend of mine when I was a sophomore was like, no, wait a minute. On the north side, there's lots of comic shops. And I was yeah. like, really? So we would like, you know, a couple of times we would cut a few classes, get on the train. And he was like, we just got to go north and go to this comic shop. I'm going to buy these old X-Men comics. And I was like, okay, let's just go north and you'll buy these comics. And he was like, great, let's do this because they're, the, the value is going up on them. And I've got to have them. So great, I went with him. But what I didn't know was how vast the north side was. So I didn't understand that what he meant was, we're going to go to Loyola stop on the red line effectively, right? And we were already at 87th and Jeffrey. So we were 8,700 south. We were going to go all the way, like the same distance north to buy some comics. And then when we got there, he bought these comics and he spent like 20 and 30 and 40 bucks a piece for them. And that's money I never had as a teenager. And I was like, wait, you just spent 20 bucks on one comic? Are you nuts? And I had a whole a stack of comics, right? But yeah. what I learned was there are other comics these guys have at a more reasonable price. And someday I'd be in that market, right? right. I, don't, I don't really want to, even now as an adult, right? I'm not really super into dropping 40 bucks on one comic. When I go to a convention or a comic show or something, and I'm looking for comics to fill out my Legion of Superheroes collection, I am looking at a certain price point I have in my head that's reasonable to pay and yeah. a certain amount that I'm just not quite ready to go over just yet. And yeah. what I've managed to do is I have managed to over the years collect, like chase down a whole lot of these issues from like the fifties and the sixties um, that I never had before. And I've been so obsessive about it that in some cases I have two, three, four, and five copies of one issue. Okay. You know, and I started this year. So one thing the pandemic has done is it's given me time to begin organizing my comic book collection. Mm -hmm. So bagging and boarding and alphabetizing and tracking down what issues of Legion of Superheroes appearances I have, which ones I don't, right? Which this is how I discovered I had more than three copies of things. I thought I might've only had three. No, I have five in some cases, but I didn't know that until I really started digging into it. Like, because I've got the time to do it now. Right. Are there... Um other legion fans out there are you the biggest one where do you think you fit in the world of collectors of, of legion i i would say i'm probably like in the like in terms of like how much i love this comic book property i i'm like i really do love it right but like i had to pump the brakes when when i was collecting action figures of them and i run out of space to possibly even display these things and it became like i can't have anything with the legion on it because it just there's no, there's just no room in my apartment, right? I have to like draw the line somewhere, right? And I'm in these fan groups on Facebook where people like fans discuss Legion related things. And I find myself, I might be a huge, like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of the Legion, but there's a certain level of discourse I won't engage in. And there's, there's this, this feeling that we fans have, who've been fans for a long time, that our Legion is of a certain era. But if you really love this property, you have to kind of, you have to accept all the eras of it because times change, right? Time has changed. For everything anyone can be a fan of, times will change. The pizza yeah. that your parents grew up eating will not be the pizza they're going to get today. It's just, things are going to be different. Better yeah. ingredients are going to make a better pizza. It's just going to happen. You, you can't, you can collect the old issues to have those stories. But if there's, if these characters are going to be relevant for new generations, things will have, things are going to be different. Right? right. And and a lot of fans really have trouble accepting this 
And I just can't really have those conversations with those folks because like it's 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 yelling into windstorms. You know what I mean? Like what what are you really you're you're gonna stop? Let's say we're not even talking about the Legion of Superheroes. What if it's like Batman? Right. Right. Batman today is nothing like Batman was in 1938. He's nothing like he was in 1948. He's nothing like he was in 1978. Right. So if you're the biggest Batman fan in the world, you have to accept that there are some amazing eras of Batman that have already existed, like uh, um, the the Neil Adams run or like even the Frank Miller Dark Knight stuff was really important. And some would say that should have died right there, which I would say I would say that. But like (laughs) there are. There are like parts that matter to different people depending on when you came along with Batman, right? Like people will laugh about Adam West and the the Adam West Batman era, but I would say without Adam West and that without Adam West Batman, there just isn't nearly as much interest in Batman today, right? It matters, you know. Like so, it's just history, you know. Yeah. Times change, people change. Like it's it's the comic book company's job to make the product relevant, ongoing. Right. And sometimes decisions will get made that we don't agree with. Right. Right. But if you're a fan, be a fan. So what is your era? What's your sweet spot? So I am I sort of straddle a couple of different zones. Right. Primarily for me in comic book collecting, since I really got into it in the late mid to late 70s. Um, that's what we call like it's sort of the Bronze Age of comics. Right. Like um, yeah. I was too young for the Silver Age of Comics, which starts in about 1958 to 1963, depending on who you ask and what you're tracking, right? I was born in 69, so like, I was too young for the most important parts of that, and the Silver Age sort of ends with the death of Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man, right? When Gwen Stacy dies, and when that, and when uh, Green Arrow's sidekick is discovered to be on heroin, that is the death of the Silver Age. That is the point at which now we're putting so much realism into comics that we're, we're over the rainbow, so to speak, right? So okay. when I started collecting comics, we were already past that point, right? Okay. So now we're, we've got the realism, we've got the grittiness, we've got uh, um, the acknowledgement that it's not eight-year-olds reading our comics, it might be 16-year-olds, and it might be college kids as well, right? Okay. So definitely in the 80s, it's when comic book companies realize college kids are reading comics, right? College-age okay. people are reading comics. We can, we can step it up a little bit, right? The trouble in comics has always been that since comic book companies discovered this, they've been writing for the same group of people ever since, right? And by that, do you mean they've been writing for? A cohort of people who were college age in 1986. They've been writing for that same cohort ever since. Okay. It's almost like how in the Harry Potter series, first Harry Potter book is meant for people the same age as Harry Potter right. and every book, the audience grows up with Harry. So this is the, so the people that write these comic books have continued to write for, for this group as they've aged. This is, and this has been a problem because the, the next thing um, is how do you get new people into comics, right? If you were 23 years old in 1986, right? Well, in 1996, you're, you're, you're going to be 33, right? Like as this happens, suddenly comic book companies start looking around at some point in the 2000s and like, where are all the new people? Why is the comic book base dwindling, right? Well, it's because- about midlife crises of Batman. Yes, that keeps happening, right? So as that happens, you're going to lose people who've been with you, right, through attrition, and you're not making a product that's relevant for new people coming up. And we finally hit a point in the last 10 years where lots of creators have come along realizing that, man, there's, 
we why in the world are we still writing comics for like 55 year old dudes right, right. what is going on here right and, and and it's been the last 10 years a shift has happened where people are coming up from different disciplines to write comics to like attract women right attract minorities to tell different types of stories everything doesn't have to be like i might really be into the reasons why sidekicks were important right that might matter to me as a comic book fan but I also realized that I'm not the only person ever reading comics. Right. Right. Like my sister, if she wanted to read comics, is not going to be into the same thing I'm into. My sisters are five and 10 years younger than me. Right. Right. There's, and they have different focuses in their life. They will re- want to read something that isn't necessarily a thing that like was, was dreamed up specifically for me. And right. so much of the industry is almost written to one sort of demographic of people to a, to a, to its own detriment. Right. Yeah, that that uh, demographic being nerdy white dudes. Absolutely, nerdy white dudes who are now over 50, 55, right? Right. So something has to change, and something has to always like every every. I get industries having to say, "How do we change it?" Well, it takes a commitment to change it, right? right. And sometimes it takes people going outside of the the DC and Marvel structure to make that change happen, which thankfully we have. Like the independent market in comics now is about as robust as I've seen it since the eighties. That's amazing. Right? It's fantastic. Most of what I, I sell, like Batman might be my character top sell, right? But graphic novel-wise, it is not a DC or a Marvel graphic novel that will top our charts. It will always be some independent thing because these are folks who Marvel and DC weren't really trying to track them as they grew up. So they came into comics looking for something else as their inspiration. How do you go from the League of Superheroes to owning a comic book store to being a retailer? Yeah, it was almost an accident. Um, It was never my intention. It was my intention growing up reading comics was like most kids growing up reading comics who were like boys who were also artistic. I want to draw comics. I wanted that to be my goal was someday I'm going to be the guy drawing the Legion of Superheroes. It's really what I like. That's what I really wanted to do. Right. Um, But like, Back then, there was no internet, so um, the the getting feedback for your work was a little harder to do, right? Mm-hmm. There was no like um, there was drawing pages, sending in submissions, getting a rejection or an acceptance, drawing more pages, sending in more sub- submissions, getting rejections or submissions like or or, or acceptances. That kind of thing was it's, it's a tedious process, right? While also needing like a day job, right? Um, right? And back then, when I really wanted to do that, I had a lot of different interests, so I was. Uh, playing music in bands at night. I was drawing in my spare time to try to get better because I wanted to be a comic book artist. And I also work a day job. Um, what ended up happening was while I was at my day job, I started going to college and yeah. I took a class that was supposed, the class was supposed to be about computer security, internet security, right? At least that's the way the class was built. It was supposed to be like, I thought, how to, how to code for, you know, antivirus and all this kind of shit, right? Like, I, I thought that's what was going to happen. And I was, uh, at the time, my major was computer science. Um, although I really didn't want that. I, my, my, my friends always joked that I was the only computer science major they knew who had never taken a computer science course. And, yeah. <laughs> and my, my entire program was designed around taking every class I could take first before they made me code, right? Because I just wasn't interested in that because all of my friends at the time in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, were losing their jobs left, right, and center, 
right? And they were all like programmers. So I didn't really want that. So I took this, I set up for this class. It turns out when I'm in the class, the class is really about how to prepare, a, the, I guess the instructor, he just shifted focus to like how to prepare your, your business uh, in case of great disaster. And then what would you do to recover said business? And how would you do this from a programming standpoint? I guess that's kind of what it was really about. So we all had to create fake businesses, yep. have some natural disaster happen to our business, and then have like a plan a in place, pandemic. like a global pandemic, and then have a plan in place for how to function or how fast to get up and running again, right? right. And I guess from the instructor's point of view, it would be like, where are your, where are your servers? And, and where's your redundancy? And all this kind of stuff, right? And from my point of view, I created a fake comic shop because it was a business I was roughly interested in, right? And, but he made us all go through the process of really creating businesses, right? And so I created this business, and then the long story short was that project got so robust that people were like, if it really existed, I'd shop it. Wow. So I started, uh, we started an um, online comic shop, which was we would list graphic novels on the internet. You could buy them there. And then if you live within two miles of my house or my office or like downtown, I would deliver to you. So we, okay. we, we started with like maybe um, the first hundred or so accounts that we had were all people that we met in person, right? Uh, my comic book meetups, since I didn't have a physical shop, my comic book meetups were in bars and bowling alleys. Yeah. So I would just tell people, hey, meet me at this place. You know, my what year is happening. Uh, 2005. Okay. Yeah, 2005, 2006, 2007 were the years in which you could meet me in a random place and we strike up a conversation, comics would come up and I would discover you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which around this time was no longer a TV show and only a comic book. And you would not be able to get it unless you were reading the comic. So a lot of our early customers were just buying Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right. And then you, you slipped around town like a vampire slayer, delivering people their comic book. Yep, absolutely. Amazing. There would be like, my wife would drive... And I would be in the passenger seat. The customer would come out of their house, walk up to the car. They would hand me an envelope with money in it. I would hand them a bag with comments. And we did <laughs> that for three, for three years. And then uh, at some point, uh, I graduated. And I was trying to get promoted at work. And the getting promoted at work thing just didn't work out. And yeah. it was like, well, like... I don't know. Like I want to. I want. I need to know if this comic shop thing can work. And let me tell you, what's really tiring: chasing people down for money over comics. Right. right? It's exhausting. So yeah, it's a lot of energy for a twenty dollar. Absolutely. Right. So like, so it becomes like having a brick and mortar might be a great idea because now they can just come get books and pay for them immediately. Yeah. Right. And I would also know, like, if you know, if this brick and mortar thing could work out, let's just try it. You know, yeah. and in three months, uh, well, six months after I opened, uh, the 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 um, recession happened in two thousand nine. Yeah, so the recession hits, but you are you're using Twitter, you're connecting with people that way, you're building your business on social media. We started with some business with some people because we were, you know, basically hanging out in bowling alleys and in bars. But you survived the recession, right. and you are currently surviving a pandemic. So how how did you? I think a lot of it for me is I didn't grow up in business, right? I kind of grew up with this sort of my my natural personality is towards outsiderism. So I don't really have a lot of like, um, I don't have a lot of experience with, I'm going to give this thing up now because this looks bad, 
right? Sure. I don't have the good sense to quit, right? So like, <laughs> I survive by being tenacious, right? Okay. Because it's the only thing I kind of know how to do, right? Like, like people need comics. I'm going to be there to give them comics. And if it comes down to, oh crap, everyone's losing their jobs, I order less risky stuff. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy, right? But like, I know for sure there are other businesses that were like tapping out after a year, right? And I, I get that on some level, that's the thing you just have to do sometimes, right? Right. But it's another when it's like, no, like it's not, this is, this is difficult, right? Because of circumstances. I've never owned a comic shop in which times were good economically, really, for everyone in my community, right? Yeah. But I am our community's comic shop. Is the league active today? Is this something people could get into with a, a modern 2020 storyline? Yes, it is. If you're a graphic novel reader, meaning that you want whole storylines done and wrapped up, the first volume of the current Legion of Superhero story uh, run is not collected yet. They're only up to issue five, right? They usually collect them every six issues or so. Um, okay. Brian Michael Bendis is the current writer. Um, the current, what is he known for? Brian Michael Bendis is known for creating Jessica Jones. Um, he's known for creating Miles Morales. Um, yep. He is a very well-known writer in comics. I am not horribly enamored of his run of the Legion of Superheroes because I think his focus in it, and I, I understand it, I just don't particularly, it's not, again, just because it's not for me doesn't mean it isn't also interesting, right? Yeah. Like, what he's doing is he's, he's got the son of Superman and Lois Lane, who is the current Superboy. He has okay. gone to the future, and he's met a bunch of teenagers who are the Legion yeah. of Superheroes who are going to be his buddies. The book is very much written as if these people are completely aware that they're his buddies in a clubhouse in the future, which is a little different than the level of drama that I'm used to, right? I don't really want a comic that is about one character when I'm wanting to read a comic about 23 characters. Right. And it's, he's, what he's doing, though, is he's kind of introducing the premise, and at some point in his writing, he gets around to fleshing it out with everybody else, which is kind of what I'm waiting for. Okay. Because right? that's the part where I know I'm going to be into it. So he's, he's really, it's a true reboot of, yes. like you, Terry, you know that these other teens in the future become the league. Yep. But Superboy just is like, oh, there are other teenagers to hang out with? This is neat. Basically, right. Okay. Yeah, why am I like, he got, they basically pulled him into the future, right? And they haven't really revealed to him why they've done this yet. Oh. Right? So he's learning about the future universe. And apparently it's very important that he be there. But he hasn't quite figured out what that is. Right? And he's, he's meeting these other characters. So we're meeting, we're meeting the new characters as he meets the new characters. Okay. So I completely get this form of writing. Yeah. Right? But I also have boxes and boxes of these comics. Right? Where this has already been covered. Yeah. You know what I mean? In a, in a different format. So I, I'm okay if we just get to the point already but i'm also patient enough to let a master comic book writer tell the story he needs to tell right because you also recognize this is what you do to get new people in after them start from day one when you want new audiences to read a thing you have to create a new thing for them to read and then if they go back and print the old things great you can read these original stories if you want to, right you can do that right i already own a bunch of this stuff right so i'm fine with like this change having to happen because it's not like somebody crawled into my window and stole my old comics. Right. Right. You, know? you can still read the stories you love and visit yep. the, the 23 members that you love. Yep. 
And a lot of people's touchstones, touch points for like getting into comics won't be the same as mine anyway, right? So I might not even say to you, if you're a new reader looking to get into some team comic, it might not be the Legion of Superheroes I point you towards. I, I understand it's an acquired taste to have this many characters in one comic, right? It might be possible the current Fantastic Four run is perfect for you, and that's where I'm going to point you, right? So if 11-year-old Terry walks into your store today, low budget, like doesn't have a lot of money for comics, yep. wants to get a lot of bang for their buck, what are, what are you turning them on to? So the price of comics at this point is kind of love without it, like four bucks a piece. But if 11-year-old me came into the store, I'm going to point them, like, I know I'd still be reading 11-year-old me, would still want team comics. So it's still going to be the Avengers, the Justice League, the Teen Titans comic, the Young Justice comic. That's also a Brian Michael Bendis comic, right? It's fantastic. Like, I would, Young Justice might be the thing that I would love immensely, given the way this this whole year of that book has gone. But also, um, I also liked, when I was a kid, independent comics that weren't about established superheroes that I knew. Like, like uh, there's a comic um, called Black Hammer by Jeff Lemire that has like six or seven characters in it. And they're all allegories of characters who've already existed for Marvel and DC, but with these odd, weird, supernatural tweaks to them that make them fresh and original. Okay. 11-year-old me would be all over that, right? Absolutely love the shit out of it. What are good, what is your prescription for somebody new to comics, 2020, um, that has enough of a backstory that if they get into it, they can either, it's not overwhelming. Sure. What's, what's a good, good for like a, someone in our age group? So, okay. What I do in my shop is a customer comes in and they're like, I want to get into this thing. Um, I say, outside of comics, what are you into? Okay. What do you like to read? What do you like to watch? Like, what was the last thing you read that really floated your boat? Not yeah. even in comics. Just what is that thing? Right. Because all of us are, our tastes are like, even if we're all watching like the Lock and Key series on Netflix or She-Ra on Netflix or Hunters on Amazon, right? If we all watch those things, we're still going to come away with them with different, slightly different tastes and what we want next. But if I find out from you what you're into, like what really works for you, that's where I guide you in my store. Right. So just about everyone in my store has loved Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. It's okay. by Image Comics. It's basically Romeo and Juliet meets Lord of the Rings in space. Yeah. Um, or Wicked Divine by Kieran Gillen and uh, Jamie McKelvey. Um, okay. it's, it's a uh, comic. It's a book about um, every 90 years, a bunch of deities come to Earth to resolve uh, their differences and, 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 and take care of un- unfinished business. But to do it, they have to possess the body of a human. And the human has to agree to it. But if they agree, the human will die in two years. They get godlike power, but they'll be dead in two years. But they get to be like a pop star or whatever. You know, they, they use their powers for whatever they want to use them for for those two years. And that was like, those two things are probably two of the most like, of things that have come out in like the last six or seven years or 10 years even, like the most, the best for new beginning graphic novel readers. Some people like when they discover something on Netflix came from a comic, like Lock and Key, for example, right? Then they're like, I heard this was a comic. There's only six volumes of it. Lock and Key is a great place to go if you want a supernatural thriller that doesn't involve, like, say, the 10-volume investment of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. So I have, like, certain books that, like, I point people towards when they're just starting out. Uh, Nimona by Noel Stevenson. That's one for someone starting out. Like, I will absolutely... And it's, like, a great, like, even, like, all-ages kind of thing. Like, 
I point people towards that. And if you're enjoying her Shira, you may as well go read uh, Nemo. You know, I love it. Yeah. So Terry, how can people um, get in touch with you? How plug plug the shop? Plug your social media. So, yeah, <laughs> my shop is Third Coast Comics at sixty four forty three North Sheridan Road in Rogers Park. Uh, to Make an order for me for mail order. You should email me at terry at thirdcoastcomics.com. All spelled out, and that's T-E-R-R-Y. Um, my Twitter, I have two. So my, my personal Twitter, which is where everybody else knows me, is docmidnight at gmail.com. Uh, docmidnight at, well, at docmidnight in general. Yep. And then uh, I'm at Third Coast Comics, which is at 3RD Coast uh, Comics for that. And we're also on Facebook, and we've got, like, just a variety of ways to reach us um for the most part and at this point yeah everybody with it because my my website was never set up as an e-commerce right it was always meant to be this is where our events are as an event focus right so it is email me and then we'll work it out from there because there's other things i'm going to need from you anyway and i feel like it's the the same kind of personal service whereas like as if you'd walked into the shop it's a bit old school but for now this is what we're doing well, thank you so much for joining me in the early days of finding favorites before we know what it is. <laughs> I like I this. This is a great thing. thing. This is a great format. And it looks like all you you're just you're just rocking it with like that like a, a Yeti mic and, and and like Zoom. All right. Let me know if you ever want to uh, have talk about my obsession with professional wrestling and progressive heavy metal music. I will come back. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And, uh, I will see you hopefully in person soon. You got it.